1: we stay the course we are dead we are all dead we were supposed to make the world a better place what happened?
2: i'm as bad as hell and i'm not gonna take this anymore i know kung fu
3: you either die a hero or you
2: live long enough to see yourself become a villain i'm as bad as hell and i'm not gonna take
4: this anymore this whole thing is insane this whole thing is insane
2: Three hundred years ago you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men with power want? More power.
4: This is now the United States of Zombie Land. This whole thing is insane! And is even capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of.
2: More power. Welcome to the desert. Of the real. More power.
4: There can be only
2: one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? It's such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you
1: really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Especially with the audio version of AB Live. This one, episode 60. Raw, uncensored, and, and unfiltered. Just like the truth you've been looking for across all your existences. Supercharged by stellar audience participation. This episode was different, but very exciting. First, we live-streamed a recent video interview I conducted with Dr. April Deconic. She shared the latest on Gnostic studies, focusing on the transcendent God, the ultimate goal of the mystic flights of the ancient heretics. It was also a kind of excellent summary of Gnosticism. Then we did an MAA, or Ask Me Anything, a first of its kind. Through this odyssey, we were joined by Anon Omos, past guest and author of Revelations on Interstellar Highway 10. As a bonus for AB Prime members, patrons at Patreon, and Red Circle subscribers, I'll include a past interview with April, where she discusses the Gospel of John and its Gnostic pedigree. You won't want to miss it. A lot of exciting shows the rest of the month and in November, including three Halloween themed episodes coming right up. Then shows on ayahuasca, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and Freemasonry, with a lot of Gnosticism always in the mix. I have just released a new ebook entitled 10 Snackable Meditations from the Finding Hermes program. Inspired because you have inspired me to find alternative ways to help in these Gnostic times. Check it out at my website. Thank you so much for those of you who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. I hope I have served you well. Your support and company keep me going. Don't forget my voiceover availability. Whether it's an audiobook, commercial, podcast, or documentary, or even a game, I can bring stellar results to your project. Keep in mind you can now tip via Stripe, since many of you use it, found in the show notes of any audio podcast, and I appreciate every donation. We need Gnosis more than ever. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or even guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meatspace. Let us to our latest AB Live.
2: I've devoted my entire life to this. The eternal engine. It is eternity itself. It's for you, Curtis. I am old. I want you to take my station. It's what you always wanted. It's what Gilliam wanted, too. You must tend the engine, keep her humming. Look, Curtis, beyond the gate. Section after section, precisely where they've always been and where they'll always be, all adding up to what? The train. And now the perfectly correct number of human beings, all in their proper places, all adding up to what? Humanity. The train is the world. We the humanity. And now you have the sacred responsibility to lead all of humanity. Without you, Curtis, humanity will cease to exist. You've seen what people do without leadership.
1: They devour one another and we are live welcome everybody to the desert of the real welcome to a world without sin and a world where men have nipples welcome to ab live episode 60 and uh very excited tonight we're doing something a little bit different as part of my uh changing of my life and uh putting more energy and ecstasy into A.M. to try different things at different times, and tonight is a little bit different. What we will have tonight is a conversation, our first really ever A.M.A. Ask Me Anything, Ask Us Anything on the topic of Gnosticism. But what we'll also have, too, is uh, recently did an interview with uh, April DeConnick, Dr. April DeConnick, head of religious studies at Rice University, on her uh, seminal book, The Gnostic New Age. And uh, one of my promises this summer is to sort of do some summary shows on Gnosticism. As many of you know, the field is always changing and we really are only at the beginning of understanding these ancient heretics. So there's always a lot of realignment and insights and all that. So uh, had some great, we've done some great shows this summer and I thought I would do a little catch up with April on the latest on Gnosticism, a recap on what the Gnostics were about and I think you will enjoy it. So for our crew tonight, our heretics tonight on this AMA, we've got Anon Omos. Welcome back, sir. Thanks for coming to the virtual Alexandria.
3: Thank you so very much, and good evening.
1: Good evening to thee. And with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you? I'm just fine. Feeling good tonight. Looking forward to this. It's Taco Tuesday.
5: Yeah. Yeah it's gonna be chicken salad tuesday actually
1: (laughs) there you go awesome well awesome i see the chat room is already filling up pretty quickly We will get the interview going very soon. And again, if you have questions, we will get to them right after the stream with April. I'm going to jump in the YouTube comments just to shoot the shiitake mushrooms with you people because I love you guys very much. And it's always great to hang out. If you have questions for us afterwards, please write them in all caps uh those who do the uh super chats will of course be put at the top of the list, and you can ask. Uh, it can be about April's interview, or you can ask us anything about Gnosticism in general, or you can ask us anything you want about the podcast. If you want to embarrass us, this is our night because I will gladly send those questions to Vance. But uh, other than that, <laughs> put myself on mute. No, no, I'll, I'll I'll face the I'll get the I'll face the heat from the kitchen So great to see everybody. I see uh, Cosmic Karma koala, I see Sunshine. Valerie. Uh, Nate is there. Where's the Tool soundtrack? Chester, hello, how are you? And who else do I see? Well, it keeps scrolling up. Awesome. I'll chat with you soon. Um, There's definitely some house cleaning, or house cleaning, whatever, yes. But I don't know if I want to get to it now. Uh, Great show's coming. Next week we will have a couple of halloween theme shows. We will have a show on my second favorite goddess, and probably many of you don't know who she is, but that is Santa Muerte from the fastest growing religion in the West. And we have the leading scholar on this death goddess. Uh, So we'll have a nice spooky show. And then uh, Scott Smith and his wife, Sandra, will join us for another AB Live for a Halloween special. And then we'll have another special on demonology, evil, and the shadow to end the month. And November will also be some amazing guests, as you will see, and I will let you know pretty soon. Uh, Other than that, not not really any any announcements. Again, uh, looking for voiceover, please look me up. I'm getting a lot of gigs and working on audiobooks, commercials and all that, but uh, anything you need, I would gladly help you out and uh, give you some professional... Product. Uh, I'm already seeing a new path, new light. What's your first favorite goddess? Well, of course, Sophia. I don't know if you want to call her a goddess. She's more of an aeon, she's more of an anti hero, but I would have to put Sophia at the top. But in the show on Santa Muerte, I will definitely give you the parallels of Sophia and Santa Muerte, as Sophia has a pretty powerful shadow side. So. Other than that, I'm trying to think. Uh, I guess I'll wait till afterwards. I have a new ebook coming out tomorrow, but I'll tell you guys that after the interview. So, uh, before we get started, Anon, what is going on in the world of Gnosticism? Or what would you like to talk about? You and I love to share about Abraxas, also maybe our other favorite male or our favorite chicken headed god. I don't know. Uh, more than Horus.
3: <laughs> the world of Gnosticism. How did we yeah, get yeah. there as heretics? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's interesting. I mean, I actually walked an orthodox path to discover Gnosticism based on some experiences. And I understand you had some, too. Um, you care to share what, what kind of got you into the serpentine type of image or figure that you saw?
1: Yeah, it's actually a sink. Uh next week for our Finding Hermes private group. And if you uh, audience want to join, I am doing a presentation on Abraxas. After all these years, I think I finally figured it out. And you and I have chatted, but I'm going to do a big reveal on who is Abraxas. But um, it was uh, in my search for Gnosticism I had no interest in him, but then I read Carl Jung's Seven Sermons to the Dead, and I was completely mind-blown. It's such a dark, poetic, mystical text where Basilides uh, channels him, and it was really part of his uh, Black Book, Red Book experience, and I was so mesmerized and confounded by Abraxas. I became uh, really interested, and as I did research, there wasn't much, but then, uh, as I've shared before, I had my ayahuasca experience where i had that out of body experience and i flew out of my body and saw this blackness it was like almost like more like Azatoth from uh, lovecraft this uh giant star but it was black and i thought this thing encompasses everything but is nothing and it rules it permeates the universe, but it also is swallowing the universe. And I remember in my um, in my ascension, I went, "This is Abraxas." It wasn't the chicken-headed or falcon-headed guy, but it was this being that was everything and nothing. That was, and it was oh, it was terrifying, but it was also awe-inspiring. So that was my experience. And then I really became interested in Abraxas. That was my uh, moniker. Back in the day before Facebook made everybody give their real names, uh, when we had cool uh, MySpace and PHP forums. Uh, But uh, then I gave up Abraxas because I realized it was kind of destroying my life. And I'll explain why next week. So tell us about your experience with uh, Chicken and Logos.
3: When you had that out-of-body experience and you encountered Abraxas, did you know it was Abraxas at the time?
1: That was the word that came into my head or, or whatever I was in a body, but it was definitely clear this is Abraxas. a Abraxas and I wasn't really obsessing. I had gone to Portugal and I was doing ayahuasca with the Santo Daime Church. So it wasn't, you know, I was learning about Nasso. He was equally with Philip K. Dick and Jung and Simon Magus and Sophia and Barbara Lowe. But that's the word that came. <laughs>
3: My encounter is rather different. I, uh, I had no idea what it was when I saw it. I mean, it's taken me these 30 years to finally figure this out. But I was going through a really intense spiritual crisis internally. Um, you might call it madness to a degree. And I reached a point where I was praying intensely to, I guess, the God above God, just that the most transcendent God I could pray to, to uh, give me a sign. I said, I'm going through madness here. I don't know if this is madness or if something more profound is going on. But I need a sign from you, God. What, just If you give me a sign, I can continue on with this spiritual battle that I'm dealing with. Now, I didn't know what the sign was going to be. I thought it would be maybe a priest showing up at the, at the door or maybe a, a Bible being sent to me by mistake or something like that. But after about two weeks of praying, I woke up about two o'clock in the morning with the feeling there was a presence in my room. I looked up at the ceiling and there was like an illuminated fog or smoke coming into the room. And at first I thought it was a uh, electrical fire occurring up in the ceiling. I was almost ready to jump out of bed and, and run out of the room. But then this portal kind of opened up even more and this like illuminated fog was coming out of it. And I looked and the portal opened all of a sudden, I saw this vertical shooting of a serpentine movement boom, going straight up within the portal. I'm like, okay, what is going on here? Am I hallucinating or what? And then the next thing is these, the snake like serpentine body came out of the portal. Into, into the ceiling above my, into the room above my head, just below the ceiling level. And it was almost like two serpentines connected to each other. I don't know if they were separate, but they seemed to be adjacent to each other as they came out of the portal. And then I saw this kind of this grayish blur. And I'm looking at this, I'm saying, what's going on? I'm shaking my head back and forth, trying to snap out of this. I'm like, this is, this makes no sense. Why are you seeing snakes? I mean, if I'm praying to God, I should see some sort of angel or some guy with a beard, I would figure. <laughs> so this, this wasn't making sense to me what was happening. And, and then the face went across my field of vision and I keep on, I'm lying in bed, looking up going, holy crap. And it be, first the face form as an oval blur. Then it became almost dog or lion, like from the side, Look very similar. to Some of those gemstones that we've seen going back to the days of a, a Gnosticism. And I remember up close, I mean, it had some stubble on his face. I remember I could see it that close. And this was like stubble, almost like broken whiskers, almost like it looked like it was a little beat up, like it'd been in mm-hmm. a few battles back and forth and then it turned towards me and came at me and then the face changed into a horrible withering old hag or old, like an old man of decay it mean, was frightening thing possible to, to to scare the Jesus out of me and it came down with its mouth wide open like it was going to devour me i remember thinking okay this thing is obviously much more powerful than i so uh rather than try and fight it bend it off because i knew that would have been pointless I just, I sacrificed my ego and I projected love onto it. And then the face of Braxis changed and dissipated and turned into something entirely different. Um, do you want me to continue on or?
1: Yeah. And did you call it a Braxis? Did you know, is it something
3: you named? I didn't know what it was. I, I, I figured it was just a demon, an angel. I had no idea what narcissism was until about two years ago to tell you the truth. Uh. So uh, I approached this from an Orthodox path and then I had this experience I mean, I was, I've been to like various Christian churches growing up, Greek Orthodox, Episcopalian. I was in a Roman Catholic youth group and they never talk about this stuff. I don't remember anywhere in the Bible talking about this uh, demon creature, archon called Braxis, where these ultimate archon or Demiurge or or what it actually is. This is all new discovering that that's where you get these synchronizations and epiphanies like, oh my gosh, that's what I encountered. That's what I saw. Uh, Now what this, What this praxis is, we seem to have so many different definitions out there, even our own definitions and what the uh, Gnostics of history viewed or described it as being. I will tell you this, though, that that encounter, I mean, I know we've had these divine experiences again in our lives, but I tell you, once was enough. I'm not so sure when we encountered that again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I remember at a Gnostic mass, not the Crowley Gnostic mass, it was a you know, the 19th century in a Freemason hall. I met these two, uh, these Gnostics who knew it. And they kept saying, we don't know who Abraxas is, but he's negative. He's negative. And they didn't know why. And, uh, now I realize he's, I don't know if he's negative or positive, but uh, I'll, I'll talk more about next week. I don't want to give too much away until I get my Abraxas presentation and I might make it public for, uh, the audience. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah so much about abraxas but um all right well unless anybody has anything else to say why don't i try to stream april DeConics' interview you guys ready everybody ready
5: you want to do a question before we start i um, sure. have one question uh nate gave a super uh, thing up there he wants to know a what's your favorite song is and in addition he wants to know what your favorite tool song is (laughs) my favorite song
1: Uh, yeah my favorite song is impossible because it depends on the day of the week you know uh, the moment what we're doing so it'd be impossible it could be something like uh i don't know um something punk rock or jane's addiction or it could be abba if you talk to me the next hour or it could be some kid song that I'm listening with the children, Disney. So Tool, yeah, it's kind of a cop out, but it's sober uh, because I can really relate to it. And uh, I like Tool. My brother was a, a, like Nate, an acolyte, a devotee. But to me, it was just one of the bands. But I was still more interested in those days. in you know, Sinead O'Connor, Jane's Addiction, other bands that really thought spoke to me at the time about what I like. So there's that, but uh, one day, maybe I'll get back to tool
5: and then uh, Anon and myself, he was uh, curious about that well my,
3: my favorite tool is on whichever one Nate you currently really like that's the one I'm into. <laughs> <laughs>
5: And I've never heard one note of Tool, so I can't answer Uh, this question. But uh, for some reason, the song, the Genesis, the old Genesis song, Watcher of the Skies, popped in my head as my quote-unquote favorite song. Even though I'm like you, you there's a zillion songs that I love, you know, Steely Dan, and I like all these old bands, you know, from the so uh, anyway
1: i think tanya was yeah, iron maiden i really like the the is a very underrated band they never got very famous but i love the 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 thes music all they're out very powerful <laughs> very gnostic uh stone stone temple pilots very gnostic stuff but anyway we could talk about music all night uh, all right. Well, let's see if this works. Again, this is a first time doing this, so we I hope it works out well. So first, I am going to share the screen, do video file. <laughs> Radio file interview with April DeConic, all mixed up. This is the A.M. Bide interview. And with us, we have the pleasure of having my favorite scholar on Gnosticism, April DeConic. April, how are you?
6: Good. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. Good. Thank you for coming.
6: Hello to, to everyone listening.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh we are, uh, we're going to do video because I thought this would be a special occasion, a special show, as mentioned, your book, which I always pimp to everybody. The Gnostic New Age is like my Bible. I reference it all the time. I take it with me. Uh, I've written blogs, quoted you on the show, and it's wonderful because, again, I love the way how you uh, you reframe so much about... Ancient Gnosticism and get us to look at it in a different way, and it it definitely works going forward. But I would say the book came out in 2016. That's when we did our interview on it. How right. has it been received since then?
6: Um, very well. It's uh, a little hard to tell because of COVID and so much so much conversation seems to have shut down with covid i don't know
1: yeah What's yeah that? it's a, it's a different world
6: it is a different <laughs> world but um, uh, the pos- the feedback i have had has been really positive especially among the student group uh, young people who are coming up that want to study the subject and they can they can see the utility of what i'm doing so
1: mm, great to hear and since the book came out april have you had to change or tweak any of your views in the book? For example, early in the summer, I interviewed uh, David Brackey and asked him the same question. I said, since your book, The Gnostics, came out, have you had to change anything? And he said, oh, yes, I I realize how dependent the Gnostics were on astro theology and astrology <laughs> that they got it from the jewish people and i kind of laughed because i said well april and i were talking she was talking about that in the 13th apostle long before and your book obviously is older but it's great to see how scholars are seeing again what you you've been advocating or realizing for years but have you had to change any views or tweak anything
6: um, uh, uh, just a couple of things in terms of the what, what I've been thinking about, and that is that um, the idea of the transcendent God needed to be worked out more, who exactly that God was, and that he was um, not the biblical creator God, but to really like make that clear, I think needs to be done. I did write a, a, a really in-depth article on Gnostic theology that just was published last year. And um, I tried to kind of continue to work that out and to talk about some of the influence of uh, Egyptian mythology on the concept of this transcendent God. And so, so, I, so I worked that out. And then, of course, I'd always intended to push forward to talk about artifact migration and how it is that the actual um, Gnostic artifacts coming into modernity have really affected um contemporary religion american culture and so forth so that's kind of where I, I'm, I'm headed to explore that
1: really because your book the gnostic new age you make the case i mean you make a good case over and over again no this is the transcendent god that nobody knew this is like a tomb the the god that emanated the other egyptian gods by inseminating his own mouth i mean you make that point again and again so i i can't think why you would need to beat anybody on the head over this. It's pretty, pretty obvious who the Gnostics were worshipping.
6: <laughs> well, again, I think, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a new idea, but it's an idea that hasn't been emphasized enough in the scholarly literature, because people are so focused on the Demiurge, that they that they don't realize that that's really Irenaeus's lens, that the actual Gnostics really didn't care very much about the demiurge that demiurge isn't all that important to their religiosity to hit their spirituality the transcendent god who is still connected to this world right he's still the source of life that's the god that they're worshiping and that's what i really wanted my book to do
1: No, that that makes sense but you know you need a good villain that's how you make a cool <laughs> religion right you gotta have agent smith or the architect or the strangers from dark city so
6: that's right but It's like kids you know at Halloween you know they don't want to be Luke <laughs> they want to be Darth Vader
1: <laughs> yeah yeah a lion head with a snake bo- dragon body is just yeah. so much cooler than some strange light out there in the middle of nowhere right and the artifacts you're talking about uh things that you discovered or worked on like the Judas gem and other things is that what you're talking about
6: I use the artifact in a, in a more of an anthropological way as an object that um, comes to us. And in this case, a book would an ancient book would be as well, you know, the manuscript itself. So the Nakamati codices would be an example, Pista Sophia would be an example, these sort of artifacts from antiquity that that emerge in modernity. I mean, they were lost for a long time, but then they come to light. And what do we do with them when they come to light? How do they affect uh, the culture of the modern culture, and I'm I'm making the argument that, the, that these material these materials aren't are neutrally migrated, and they don't they're not nomads wandering around a new culture. That scholars and and the media, um, religious leaders bring these texts into modernity, and they interpret them in, in certain ways, and that we end up with uh, something new happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I I see those as the main source of Gnostic spirituality for modernity. It's not. I don't see, for instance, an ancient Gnostic groups surviving through the centuries and and coming down and and leaving us with something like perhaps the Catholic Church. We think of the Catholic Church, but rather that these artifacts come into be come into our experience anew, and then we migrate them. That's not to say that Irenaeus is, you know, he's around a long time. (laughs) So, I mean, they have access to some of these ideas, but um, it's really not until these artifacts are migrated that we really see. um, Oh, you can think of Blavatsky, for instance, in the way that she starts incorporating the Gnostic viewpoint into her um, uh, uh, and her into her theological ideas.
1: No, that makes sense. And Anything new that has uh, come out since 2016? I was hoping when I talked to you, you'd tell me they found the, the gospel of Simon Magus or the epistle of Marcelina or something really cool like that. Or are we still sort of...
6: No, we're we're, we're still working with what we've got. <laughs> oh,
1: well, that's a pity. I guess finishing some uh, translations of Manichaean texts is as best, good as we're going to get. Recently. <laughs>
6: <be> right now. <laughs>
1: Oh, well, we get
6: enough. I mean, we have a lot of information. (laughs) Yeah. A lot. I mean, it's overwhelming. Every time I go back through the material, it's just, it's overwhelming how much we have and and how little we've actually worked on these materials.
1: Yeah. And there's so much insight. I remember uh, interviewing Hall Tossig, and I said, oh, wow, I love your translation of uh, the Thunder Perfect Mind. And he's like, yeah, but we need about 12 to really get like those aha moments so that's what scholars do right there you keep translating adding stuff or insights and bang new vistas come up
6: yeah definitely
1: and um what about uh since 2016 since we talked uh, there was another scholar who said uh, the problem he's having now is that in the early 21st century he could just uh go up to class and say okay we're gonna talk about the gnostics and he'd say the matrix and the students would go aha okay and it's so much easier to teach a class now he says with the the zoomers the gen z's a lot of them haven't seen the matrix so he's like he's having more problems getting them to latch on Have, have you seen anything in the last five years movies or shows or books that you're like this is pretty cool gnosticism
6: Ooh, um, I'm always on the lookout, but I have not seen anything as good as The Matrix. <laughs> I so I always make my students watch it. <laughs> I'm like, you got to go home and see this movie if you haven't seen it already. Or the, the, Truman, the Truman Show is another, and, and they of course they really like the Truman Show because you know reality TV, and they can talk about that, and and that makes a lot of sense to them. So.
1: Yeah, well, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah as uh, to the audience, uh, April uses movies to help us understand certain chapters of her book from the Matrix, Dark City, Avatar, Pi, uh, The Man of Steel. So there's a lot. Uh, yeah, I would suggest to you, um, I think the Westworld reboot was pretty good. Here. Good, yeah, but yeah. obviously, yeah. you can't have your students watch 20 hours of, <laughs> oh.
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: but as uh yeah as movies yeah these this stuff was groundbreaking and um something i also wanted to talk to you that i always tell people and sometimes they still look at me kind of strangely because again it's how we see the world but again your book the gnostic new age uh sort of uh again reframes things and tell us to look at things differently and one of them which I feel is core, is the idea that Gnosticism is not a traditional religion, but it's, as you say, a metaphysical orientation. Could you explain, probably better than I could do, what a metaphysical orientation is?
6: Sure. Well, I mean, I think in today's terminology, we call it a spirituality. You know, it's how a person relates to to what they would consider the ground of being or... God or or you know what is transcendent to them. It's how they orient their lives in that direction. And in the, in antiquity, they they um they also use mythology in terms of that sort of orientation. Uh, they also use philosophy. So they would you know blend these things. So it was the way they kind of looked at the world. And what what I'm arguing here is that you had people who looked at the world and said, you know, all these gods that people are worshiping around here. Uh, they're actually not God. So God, (laughs) who is the source of life for us is a transcendent entity. And um, I'm going to explain to you how it is we all got down here, because it's a very vertically oriented mythology. Mm So um, usually they posit uh, that this particular God came into being and then the process of that God coming into being and coming into life, if you will, certain things happen and there 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 is um, a fall or a degrade or something within the God head itself that then causes the lower worlds to be come into being and the human condition
1: mm-hmm. yeah and uh, this uh, definitely explains a lot because for a long time people, would wonder well what's up with these guys some are doing sacramental exercises some are perhaps doing sex magic some are doing contemplation vowels so would you say and some look like uh catholics some look like egyptians some look like later on like muslims or jews the Kabbalists. and that's this is what fixes it because as you say you have that red pill from neo and then you have to find what the from the culture around yeah. you those exercises that will give you an ecstatic journey up above
6: right yeah the, these were these were people that were, that did think in terms of wanting to meet this this transcendent deity and so of course they used the traditions that were around them they tried them out to get there you know various initiatory exercises and so forth that were being used uh, among the egyptians among the the um the Greeks and so forth. Uh, and the idea here, I, and, and I, I named the book, the Gnostic New Age, re, very intentionally, because I really see these people like the parallel, the analogy, if you will, is really with uh, the, kind of the New Age thinkers in the 70s and 80s, where, you know, they, they, they developed this sort of medical physical worldview, that was outside of um, any particular religion, But it drew on a lot of them and and but they could situate themselves within a particular religion they could see themselves as christian or they could see themselves you know as jewish or what have you and that's the closest kind of analogy i can get um in antiquity these folks did end up many of them did end up creating religious movements so this this new metaphysics and and kind of the combinations of things that they would take from Jewish scripture or from Christian scripture. um, That sort of thing they would about philosophy, they would bring it together, integrate it into a new religious movement. You know, they had exercises, they had particular exercises. So when we talk about origins of, of Gnosticism, we really need to be talking about really specific particular origins of different Gnostic movements. And how that spirituality was taken up and combined with various um, religious elements to create a new movement, new social movement.
1: that makes sense and it reminds me when i interviewed eric davis on his book high weirdness and he makes sort of the same case like you said uh, the perfect example is philip k dick in the 70s i'm a christian i'm an episcopalian but it's okay because i'm really into this gnosticism visions of Alice, and all that and eric did say that there was one theme in the 70s everything you mentioned but that was i gotta find my authentic self i gotta be me you think of super tramp in the logical song at the end he's screaming who i am and i think this was a a a thrust of the knock the gnostics who is what is within me that is real
6: yes yes and real and authentic and powerful right and makes me greater than the gods at least equal to them they say but yeah Yeah. (laughs) And, and that you know that that was pretty transgressive language, really, for antiquity. And it's Plotinus actually marked it and said, "You know, these guys are are saying things like that, and that's we don't go around saying that."
1: <laughs> Not proper society, yeah. No. Plotinus had a lot of complaints about them uh, controlling <laughs> demons, uh, depending yeah. on the on the Orient, and uh, a whole bunch of stuff. But as some scholar said, uh they were effective. The Sethians were kind of stealing a lot of his customers,
6: so, I think so. <laughs> he was definitely worried about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they were hitting him in the bank, <laughs> so that would definitely do it. And uh, you would say uh, an. You would say another. When I talked to David Bracky, he said he was trying to describe the Gnostics, and he said, "Well, the one thing that's not exclusive about the Gnostics is gnosis, because in Alexandria there was that vibe with the the Hermetics, the Neoplatonists, but you had Merkabah Jews, uh, whoever was behind the Chaldean Oracle. So, you think uh, would you say gnosis is common, or did the Gnostics have a little bit different view of gnosis?"
6: I think that during the time that these folks were around, that the idea of Gnosis um, took on a theological um, valence so that that the conversation started to be that Gnosis was about knowing God. And what the Gnostics are saying is the Gnosis is about actually knowing him as in meeting him, that it's not any intellectual journey, but it is a um, journey of the spirit, right? Where the spirit goes, and meets this god face to face so um the hermetics also are doing this but as you know i categorize them as 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 an
1: so do i yeah
6: yeah so um yeah and the other thing miguel that that i want to really make clear is that there's not there there's not some prescription like um or or some one element that makes gnostic movements distinct it's the fact that it's a blend of things that create this new innovative thing that we call gnosticism Mm -hmm. um and it's that that blend that makes them different
1: yeah i mean because sometimes we were talking about again we were talking about the matrix uh and how there's a buzz when the movie comes out the the fourth movie but then when people ask me, well, I, I jokingly say, like, well, the, the first Matrix was not the first Matrix. Uh, Plato's Allegory of the Cave was the first If you want to know Gnosticism, go back then. Or I go, you know, the first Gnostic gospel was the myth of Prometheus, where he rebels against the gods, and Athena helps him get the fire. Sophia, Jesus, and Prometheus get sacrificed, Uh and then i say well you know uh the myth of the demiurge is in uh, persian Zervanism where ahriman gets to rule the world for 500 years and he's the fierce demiurge so this was in human the human psyche somewhere but uh, it seems to really would you say it coalesces When, with your theory of disenfranchised Jews, pagans, meeting up with these out-of-work Egyptian priests who were being marginalized because of the Greco-Roman world was cutting them off from the ancient Egyptian mystery. So you said that, you would say that's where it coalesced, um, and I guess it's a, yeah.
6: Oh, I think, yeah, you do have a coalescing. And again, you have all of the all the elements are there within the culture, right? But what they've done is they've combined them all together in this um, distinctive way. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And, uh, and, I mean,
6: s- and once that once that combination happens, and then you start going back and and looking at uh, scriptural texts, and you start asking questions about, huh? You know, we worship Yahweh, but boy, that wasn't necessarily the God I met in that, in that <laughs> initiation. Um, you know what's going on here, and I, I think that's the kind of thing that happens. Mm-hmm. People have a have these sort of ecstatic; they, they will have these ecstatic experiences. That are in their in their view life changing and they'll always go back to texts in order to try familiar texts in order to try to understand what happened to them. They'll go to unfamiliar texts to try to see that did someone else talk about this, these are these are very much seeker people. Uh, in, in religious studies, we call people who who do a lot of of, of looking around in, in various religious texts and, and, and kind of crossing boundaries in order to find truth and knowledge. I think that's the kind of people we're talking about in antiquity. In fact tertullian talks about them that way he one of their favorite sayings of jesus he says was you know seek and you will find and <laughs> tertullian wants to shut that down and so <laughs> tertullian yeah. makes some arguments about that that saying which are a little bit interesting but
1: <laughs> yeah as, as you write in the gnostic new age the church fathers thought the gnostics were they were pushing the line into schizophrenia hubris. I mean they really are worried about the mental state of these guys down the road doing those experiments, so very much like a you know like people worry about counterculture, these hippies over there, these uh, ayahuasca people doing over there. What are they doing? They're going to go crazy. They're just trying to find God
6: if they thought them so much as crazy as that but as they were trying to frame them as being more deviant than they were so that the romans would go after them and act <laughs> after the you know uh, apostolic catholic community
1: yeah on the internet we call them karen's so i don't know if you're familiar with the term okay karen my kids even know that term and they're like six but <laughs> it's part of the culture i suppose um and uh um Interesting that you talk, or interesting, I'm the one who brought up the the counterculture. I always remember at the last Gnostic conference, you came up at the podium and you asked, are we still living in a Hans Jonas world? And I think about that a lot. And I I think, yes, we are. I mean, and then I think of the Gnostics. I think Jonas really got the i know this word's abused a lot zeitgeist of what was going on what the gnostics felt or the hermetics felt or even these egyptians felt they were just like this abandonment this aloneness and that was part of uh the red pill if you would right in the matrix neo is depressed with culture he's depressed with his life he's like there's got to be something else
6: yeah i i I think that these that these people Um, at least when I use the word countercultural, I mean that they are, um, they're interpreting tradition upside down in a lot Mm -hmm. of way. Um, and, and that's not just Jewish tradition. It's also Christian tradition. That is the Christian tradition that had formed up until the time that, you know, they were, they were writing, um, and it's also Greek culture and they're, they're kind of hitting it on all, on all sides. And these are not the kind of people that are like fundamentalists in that they're saying that, um, I don't know, like everything's wicked around us and we need to separate. I don't read their literature that way. You know, they're still participating in, you know, eating fine foods and they're, um, often going to gladiator games. I mean, Irenaeus tells us this, so they seem to still be participating in culture, but, um, but they're definitely questioning the the sort of religious practices that the pagans are involved in, as well as the the, the Jews and Christians.
1: And could we call them existentialists? Christian existentialists? I know sometimes when people ask me, "Well, what's a what's a, what's a Gnostic?" and I say, "Go listen go listen to Johnny Cash for an hour, and you'll start to get what the Gnostics were about."
6: <laughs> I started talking about them as transcendentalists. Okay, not in the in the terms of thinking that there is a transcend transcendental, um, God who's over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're not transcendentalists in the sense that they think that this world is beautiful necessarily. Um, but they definitely think the spirit ha- infuses the world, right? I mean, it infuses a human being at least so
1: that makes sense that makes sense and it's interesting i was uh, looking at the gnostic new age today and uh, it's interesting because again you talk about all these sex and they're uh, doing these ecstatic shamanistic out-of-body exercises and of course being from the egyptian matrix these this stuff is also useful if you die you need to know these passwords and, and rituals because you're going to go through the archons regardless in this life or the next Right. But then you said uh, Mani sort of innovates it. He kind of brings, I don't know if you say the 80s vibe or he just shrinks it down. He's like, no, no, we're going to be practical. Just eat well, act well, keep it simple and you'll meet the transcendental God.
6: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, I, I love Manny's system because you know he does this dual thing where he understands that there is there are normal people that want to be married and just have kind of a normal life, and then there are folks that you know want to want to be more. do do stricter practices and so forth. And so those become the elect in his community. And there's practices in his community are so severe, that they have to be fed. I mean, they can't farm, um, they can't uh, walk on grass. Uh, so they need somebody to bring them food. And so this other group, the hearers, uh, uh, the, the sort of kind of normal people, um, bring them their food and, and so forth. And they, you know, they live, Uh, their lives in such a way that they hope that uh, by doing these things, they'll be forgiven any sins they committed against the God and, and and, and maybe come back again as an elect the next time you know, be reincarnated as an elect. But you know, that really brings me to to an interesting point in that, you know, these different groups had different views of the body and the world. And so I think one of the problems that I that, that that I have with Jonas's work is this idea that they're they all I have this sort of really negative view of the world. I think this has really shaped how we understand Gnosticism as modern people, but I don't think all of the groups have the same feelings on this. <laughs> so when all I read right. the literature, you know, there, there there is different practices they're advocating. And if we put the hermetics in this group, there you have a more positive valence. It's not Positive, and I do want to say they that. say
1: some few bad things about the body. You know?
6: <laughs> the, the Renaissance folks really wanted it to be positive, and it's come down to us to think of it that way. But the, there's some really negative yeah. co- cosmos and negative body stuff in in the Hermetic literature.
1: Yeah, too. and Plotinus has some bad things to say about the body. He's no fan of flesh.
6: <laughs> the regular Christians in antiquity but oh. he didn't like the body either. So, you know, I I really have have been working, thinking in terms of a continuum on all of these issues um, and where the different groups kind of place themselves out on the continuum and, and apostolic Christians are on that continuum too.
1: No, that, that makes sense. And when uh, your students or people ask you, okay, so the Gnostics were getting these experiences Coming back with this data, these downloads, perhaps because again, it seems like they're going inward too. Why do? You, why were they so obsessed with rewriting sacred scripture? which even individuals like Kelsus was like, why they, these guys can't? You can't do that, you know. Why were they rewriting everything like like teenage fan fiction on the internet or
6: something? I think they saw it more as midrash. Mm-hmm okay and they have a new revelation and the revelation in their mind is the truth about whatever the story was that they're rewriting so you know it's like the hidden knowledge that's been revealed to them about whatever it is they're rewriting so you're right there's a lot of intertextuality in in the works that they produce and um but i think that's the mindset
1: yeah and i I mean again They get offended because the Gnostics did that. But then you've got Paul who's kind of rewriting the Torah saying angels gave Moses the law and his his head was veiled. He didn't see the truth. And Paul is talking about, well, let's throw everything out the window and start over. And this world is ruled by, you know, crappy angels. So but that's fine. And of course, I think you mentioned one time that was really like a signal for many of the Gnostic's like, let's go.
6: (laughs) Yeah, let's go Paul. And they did. I mean, Paul was a favorite among Christian Gnostics. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And I have some notes too. I wanted to share with the audience and yourself and see if you, uh, uh, it's something I I haven't I have showed on the show, but it's been a while, but you talk about the five ideal characteristics of the Gnostics. And if you don't mind, I'll read them here. I will show them on the screen too, as the audience watches this video. But the first characteristic is framed around direct experiential knowledge of a transcendent God, what the Gnostics call Gnosis. Second, these ecstatic states were not always unbidden raptures, but would care carefully choreographed in terms of ritual third, because they experienced complete unity with the transcendent God in their initiations. These people were convinced that humans have an innate spiritual nature. That is an extension of this transcendence. Fourth, This was transgressive talk that set Gnostics at odds with conventional religions, which worship local deities of the earth and the celestial spheres, not the transcendental realms. Fifth, to achieve this, they incorporated into the religions discussions, everything but the kitchen sink." So that says it all. I mean, the transcendent God, everything is there
6: yeah and the and and again i don't um this is um not a prescriptive definition but it is a definition that allows uh, It's flexible right it allows for different sorts of groups to combine things in different ways uh and you know so forth so yeah
1: yeah definitely i think it works very well and again i keep lots of transcendent god you're not skimping on the transcendent god april so that's good to hear and there's a quote i love too which i often say it goes uh, ancient gnostic movements and religions reoriented the focus of religion from the welfare of the gods to the health and well-being of humans who were not meant to submit to the gods of this world but to vanquish them so that's another shows how transgressive the gnostics were yes and um to vanquish them, what do you mean by that? I mean, I guess that, I mean, there was some sort of apocalypse to the Gnostic. Uh...
6: Well, certainly in the end times, but no, I, I mean, in their ritual activities, mm. right? I mean, as they go through those heavenly spheres, uh, they are overcoming each of the, um, you know, the the dominant archons as they go. So, yeah.
1: You know that, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And something I also like to ask scholars is because often people assume that the Gnostics were spiritual bypassing. All they cared about was just going out into the planes and just sitting there on a cloud or whatever they did on the astral plane with the, with right. a tomb with the giant serpent or something. But this these rituals were transformative right i mean i always like to say that they wanted to become not just divine but really fully human
6: that's true yes they did they wanted they wanted to come back from these journeys and be able to manipulate the gods to their end and they both is the one who tells us this uh, and then they were healers they wanted to heal, and they were—they were actually. If Plotinus is right, they were really concerned about the poor. They were concerned about the fact that um, justice didn't really look like justice on Earth. Like, how could this be God's justice? How could these people be suffering like this? And shouldn't we be helping them? And um, so that so they wanted to reach out. Plotinus' response is interesting. He says, "No, you know, philosophers—that's not our job." Um, that's the job that the the, the gods have meted out fate as as fate is supposed to be meted out and so what we're supposed to do is just concentrate on trying to you know get into a better relationship with the god
1: yeah and that brings us to another uh, topic is that they the Gnostics also wanted to not just The five characters, five characteristics or ideal characters, but they wanted to basically destroy fate or find free will. I think when I interviewed Dylan Burns, he had this funny remark. He says, You know, Christians invented free will, which sounds strange, but they were the first (laughs) ones to start talking about can we break fate? Can a new God transform us and give us freedom to get out of here? And the Gnostics were part of that.
6: Right. (laughs) Yeah yeah the Gnostics uh, were were convinced that they were able to um yeah break fate because they were stronger than the gods right so they were able to vanquish the gods and they were able to take control of things themselves when they came back in terms of healing and so forth because you remember that in, in antiquity healing had to do with with gods possessing or spirits possession Possessing a body, uh, making it ill, and so forth. So they were able to um, make the the demon or the spirit that was was doing the making the illness. They were able to kick it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so through exorcism, or they were able to call on the the god who was responsible for creating that body part. I mean, this is part of what the Apocryphon of John is about. They knew the name of the god. That god. And so they were able to say, Hey, you know, so-and-so, you know, heal this arm or stop the stomach ache and the gods would have to obey them. Was the idea.
1: Yeah. And you would say the healing was, <clears throat> excuse me. You would say the healing is not just uh, physical, but weren't they, as you write in your book, it's uh, psychic healing trauma. We all share a trauma of our fall for no fault of our own. And this was part of the healing mental healing so jung wasn't so far off as he was a hundred years ago.
6: Uh, yeah i i think you know if we look carefully at what Irenaeus tells us about marcus it seems that that's what one of the things marcus was doing in his community is that he had these these sort of communal chant chant sessions where they would sit around and they would intone something like amen over and over um or over and over um, the sound of a, of a baby crying, they said, uh, in order to, um, help with their, with their, their, their sufferings and, and their anxieties and so forth. So it seems like they were doing these sort of what we would call today kind of meditative chant practices, uh, to, 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 to bring harmony to the world and to themselves.
1: Yeah. Another, uh, section we didn't talk about last time was, uh, we went through all the different rituals but one of them which struck it always says strikes me as interesting was the gnostics i think the valentinians uh, i'm not sure what sick with dressing up like animals to recreate some. i guess people today they weren't furries for those of you out there they, they weren't furries right they were they were reenacting certain astral uh uh things in the sky
6: yeah, so you're thinking of the Ophian. Uh, yes. Yeah, the Ophians.
1: Um, Origin um, talks about them. You're you
6: know, right. Um, we're not actually sure. It, that's that was just a conjecture that in theater they may be doing something like that, but they talk about coming, you know, be being a lion or you know, like being one of these these beings. And uh, of course, you have to remember the Archons. They they all they all have a particular persona um one one of them for instance is a is a has a lion head you know Mm -hmm. another is a serpent and and so forth and so the idea may be that they uh when they would reach each one of these levels where these archons uh live that that they would get some kind of a token or something that they'd conquered that level
1: and what are some of your uh do you have any Gnostic sect that really speaks to you or that you really like? Again, you you put so many of them in your book and you, you reconstruct the rituals from the Paratics, uh, from the Nascenes, the Sethians, a whole bunch. Are there any that speak to you that go, ah, I, I would hang out with these dudes in ancient Alexandria or something?
6: Yeah, I think if there was one person that I could go back to in antiquity to talk to, it would be Valentinus
1: valentinus Uh, mr love himself (laughs) yeah
6: i just uh i you know he seems like such a genius to me in the way that he understood early christianity and um paul how he reads paul i just i'm very fascinated by him
1: yeah it's interesting and have you ever wondered why the sethians don't seem to have any leaders how do they stayed under the radar i mean we don't we don't really have any sethian leaders do we
6: we don't have any named people that's very strange
1: yeah i wonder i've always wondered how did were they that secretive or humble they 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 wouldn't put their name why do you think this is Does does anybody have theories
6: Oh, wow, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know of any theories, but we could we could theorize here. We could think about it together.
1: I like the secret society vibe. It's a lot cooler, (laughs) sells more, it'll sell more uh, view, it'll get more views.
6: (laughs) You know, one one thing is that if you're working to if if you're a new religious movement, and you want to really be considered ancient, Mm -hmm. okay, to to go back and say well seth is our is our is our kind of founder uh we don't really have any recent founders that that story it would be pretty powerful so yeah. but, you know yeah so so that that might yeah
1: that might i mean the hermetics yeah they talk about poem Andres and hermes and all that so they are kind of using godmen for their own text too exactly or uh but then what about uh the platonizing sethians with zoroastrianos could you say that's a well that's there again that's pseudographia, whatever they call it right that
6: kind of thing yeah yeah you know, they're still trying to track back to ancient heroes
1: yeah well it's an interesting theory again uh, I, I think know. both can work since we can't know. prove you know we can't <laughs> prove
6: <was> <laughs> off the top of my head theorizing <laughs>
1: And um on the topic of favorites uh, if you had any uh, favorite female Gnostic leaders, what would be some of them Again, I like to talk about both the male and the females, the divine and the, the all of it together.
6: Not a lot of named female leaders so uh, we have a car creation
1: Marcelina you
6: know, yeah she she she's someone that we know by name um flora's not a leader
1: yeah you're right
6: um, Well, you uh, could
1: include mary magdalene
6: yeah but she's 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 used as a leader right i mean she's a, she's appropriated
1: mm-hmm. yeah so is thomas
6: <laughs> yeah he's appropriated too <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, we still have uh, Ellen, the Concert of Simon, if it's true. You know, the 30, the under Docithius, uh, and they were all equal. Uh, we have uh, Marcus, the Magician. If they were switching out, you know, the famous, uh, they were uh, casting lots, and somebody would be the bishop one week, another. So, obviously, women would have headed service at some point, but we have no names. Uh, who else do we have? The founder of the Mandeans, Mary. The founder of the Nassenes is also Mary. I would like to think it's the same person, but everybody was named Mary back then. So yeah. I know there's a couple other I'm missing. Hmm. Any figures that uh, from the Divine Feminine that speak to you or that are your favorite? Or
6: uh boy, that's a good question. I really never thought about it. I always kind of like bar below, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Sophia's interesting too, but, um, I've never really had an affinity with, with Sophia.
1: Really? She's very popular in pagan occult circles, but <laughs> yeah. she's very luciferian, very fallen. Hmm. And, uh, if you, uh, have you ever had individuals approach you and ask you, uh, April, I would like to create sort of a modern Gnostic ritual based on the ancient Gnostics. Uh, For example, when I visited Rice, you had one of your students or a student there do this beautiful opera speaking the Gnostic texts. And we were, I forget what chapel we were, but it was very cave-like, so you got that womb-like. I was like, this would be a Gnostic ritual. Uh, has Has anybody ever asked you anything like that?
6: I remember someone asking me a long time ago, emailed me, and um, um, I don't think that really ever went anywhere. But um, now we, we we have probably enough information to reconstruct to, to do a pretty good job. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I've been studying ritual for a long time within uh, these these texts, and there's enough there.
1: I would agree, too. I think there's, uh, I forget the name of the book. You quote the book in the Gnostic New Age, the really uh, cool book on the, the book of you. Yeah. And there's a whole reconstruction. And I have a friend, she's reconstructed the entire thing. except for the plants and i'm like well like uh i I think you're supposed to get high off of these plants
6: plants. so
1: but if you have an experience let me know and i will join you (laughs) if you see the transcendent god i will join you
6: that's
1: cute yeah but it's unfortunate um well to end uh I was gonna, what are you working on anything interesting dealing with gnosticism any new books or just I working on
6: yeah, there's a couple things i'm doing right now miguel i'm writing a textbook called comparing christianities and so it integrates all this information about gnostic groups about um, Montanist groups and so forth into the uh, history of early christianity and um, it's going to be fabulous and I've, I, i i I'm starting to work on a family model where I'm seeing the early Christians were part of, uh, three, there were, I, I think there were three families of Christians. There were the Yahwists, the ones that are working at worshiping the Yahweh God, uh, the creator, uh, the biblical creator God. And then there were the, what I'm calling the transcendentalists. They were the, the God, the, all of these Gnostic groups who are worshiping this transcendental God, who is still the source of life for our world. And then there's the alien god group. Um, these are the the uh, Martianites, and they're they're worshiping a god who is transcendent, but he is outside of our universe. He's part. He is a god of another universe who swoops into ours.
1: <laughs> the alien god.
6: The um, alien god. So there's these three family groups, and you know, once I saw that, it it, it starts to make sense about, um, you know, how, what. what how what overlaps the different families have with each other and then what makes them distinct from each other
1: no that's going to be fascinating because even something like predestination that could work in all three because with marcy and the alien we we don't share with the alien god any substance but he sort of floats around and like i'll pick you i'll send jesus to you the Gnostics, we share with the transcendent God, but somebody needs to wake us up, we need a Morpheus. And then of course, with the Yahweh, so you can throw in predestination a million times a day.
6: <laughs> right. And so it really is interesting when you when you look at it that way, you could actually like run an Excel sheet with this, you know, and say, Okay, well, how do they how are they viewing Jesus, and you can have, you know, the same grid going across. And what I'm finding is that the, the families cluster on certain elements and focus on certain elements, but there's always something unique that that, 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 that family has that the other families don't. It's really fascinating. So mm. that's what I'm doing now. And I'm, I'm also thinking about my next book to follow up on the Gnostic New Age, where I really want to theorize how it is that we, we um, uh, actually migrate these artifacts. Like, well, how, how, how does this work?
1: Well, very excited look forward to uh to all your work you know you know i'll be pimping that
6: <laughs> well, when, I, when i get uh comparing christianity's finished i'll send you a copy of it
1: awesome awesome what are you proud of all your books equally or is there any book you say uh oh no no
6: classic a... like new age is my favorite
1: yeah yeah i would say that too i would say my second is 13th apostle and then I really like holy misogyny. I think that's uh it's 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 really an important book.
6: <laughs> thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, the, the Gnostic New Age is the book. That's the one that I've always wanted to write since you know the time I was first learned about this stuff when I was, you know, 18 or 19. So it took me a long time to be able to write it.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm very happy. The audience is very happy you write it. And uh, thank, you, thank
6: you everyone for listening
1: yes thank you as always april for coming on AM Byte, bite and uh we look forward to the next time and best with all your projects
6: thank you very much
1: <laughs> and there you have it you shining crazy diamonds our interview with april deconic in our second part we take questions from the audience and shoot the transcendent shit on gnostic themes As a bonus for AB Prime members, Patrons at Patreon, and Red Circle subscribers, I'll include a past interview with April where she discusses the Gospel of John and its Gnostic pedigree. You won't want to miss it. Yes, indeed. Heresy is really so much damn fun. Including the audio version, this is a cool listen if you leverage the private RSS feed from AB Prime or Patreon that works in the podcast provider of your choice and yes, you can now get a simple private RSS feed through Red Circle for less than five bucks a month check it out on the show notes so please become an AB Prime member or Patreon at Patreon or Red Circle subscriber for the full audio interview and the bonuses and it does support this red pill cafeteria go to the thegodabovegod.com for means to assist and get the infernal rewards or just contact me or check out the show notes whether it's patreon or ab prime or red circle it will cost you about a buck per episode and that's a deal of many lifetimes the alternative spirituality and philosophy of the gnostics is more important than ever And it's certainly a valid way to make contact with the transcendent God. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always.